heads up, I'm going to talk about money today. So uh, I'll just give you a fair warning. If you're new with us this morning, I want to let you know, we don't talk about money a lot here, right? So I just want to give you a fair warning. This is not a conversation that we uh, have frequently, but uh, there is a particular reason that we are talking about money today, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But before we kind of look at any of that, I want to give you a big idea that we are going to move forward with this morning, because I want you to know the posture of the leaders of our church, my posture as we approach these ideas about money. Church, Jesus doesn't coerce giving. He calls us into generosity. He does not coerce giving. He calls us into generosity. So let's think with me about the people who funded Jesus's ministry. As he was walking on the earth, as he was uh, going around, there were people who came behind him. The disciples, partially, they came along, everything that they had, they sold all that they had, and they, they followed him, right? There was that concept. So they used their funds, the things that they sold, to be able to kind of resource their time with him, resource his ministry. But then you also see many women who followed Jesus. And it's very likely that those women were the primary funders of Jesus's ministry, as they walked with him, they provided. Why would they do this? Why would the disciples, these women, why would they do this? Because they witnessed who Jesus was. They saw him work, right? And they, they were so compelled by who he was that they invested their livelihood in him to secure that work to continue going forward. All right, let's talk about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a, a, a wee little man, and, and so he came along and uh, he had an opportunity to meet with Jesus, and, uh, and so Jesus invites him, or he actually, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house for lunch. Zacchaeus was a swindler, right? So he's a tax collector, and what he had done was, as a tax collector, he took a percentage of the money that he collected for tax. He got to take additional percentages from the people that he was collecting tax from, so that he actually like, took quite a bit of money from other Jewish people who lived in that area, right? He, he not quite stole money from them, but he certainly engaged in a practice that took advantage of the fact that people had to pay their taxes, and he got to take some off the top. But Zacchaeus is interested in Jesus. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house for lunch today, and uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus meet across a table. We don't know what they talked about, but we can imagine that they shared something significant to the point where Zacchaeus was compelled by the person of Jesus. There was something about Jesus that was life-altering for him as he met at that table to the point where Zacchaeus comes out of that meeting and he says, you know what? I'm going to give back everything that I stole, but I'm going to give it back fourfold, right? which was more than what the law required. Right? The law required that he give back some over and above what he had stolen, but he gave back far more than what the law required. He was repenting for the wrong that he had done, and then he sought to make it right to an extreme degree, right? He vested his money. What Jesus did for him, he's so compelled by Jesus that he changed what he did with his money. And there are many situations in the New Testament where uh, we don't see people having some kind of requirement to give being placed upon them, but we do see them responding to what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing. They invest their money and their time to, to, to secure the ministry that is going forward, to secure the witness of the gospel that is going forward, and they, they invest their money to see it continue. So as we talk about money this morning, let me first tell you what I am not here to do. 
I'm not here to guilt you into generosity. That is not my goal. You have the power to direct your heart, to actually uh, tell your heart where to go by putting your money in that place. My goal with anyone is to never see them coerced into using money in certain ways. My goal is to see people aligning their hearts with Jesus' heart, right? So uh, I'm here this morning. That's what I'm not here to do. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm here this morning to do three things. Number one, I'm here to tell you what Jesus is up to here in this church. Second thing I'm here to do is to very realistically present our financial situation and kind of the need that what Jesus is up to here requires of us. And then finally, I'm here to invite you to consider if you have a part to play in helping us further meet that need. So last week, last week we talked about uh, our new name. We talked about this reality that we are a church in transition, that we are moving forward under a new name. In about three months, we're going to relaunch as Renovation Church. If you're wondering what that means or how we arrived at it, how we got to that, uh, I would just encourage you, go back to our website, abcbartlett.org, listen online to figure out what that is about and why we are doing it. But church, what we really focused on from there is this idea that we are all stories that God is writing about Jesus making things new. That if we could live our lives amongst the the people in our world, we would want them to see in us stories of Jesus making things new, that they might be compelled by Jesus to follow him, to see him make things new, right? So, um, so this is the result, what we have come to with this name change. This is the result of a nearly two years long process where we have said kind of what it means for us to be faithful into the future, that we need to make some significant adjustments, right? And so this name change is a part of that adjustment process. So I now want to talk about financially what that two year long process has looked like for us. Uh, Over the last two years, we have prioritized some building projects, some technology projects that are kind of necessary to meet our goals now and into the future. We move forward with budgets the last two years in a row that were intentionally over and above what we expected to bring in for that year. We did that because we had uh, money in savings. We still have money in savings for what it's worth, but we did that because we thought these projects were important. They need to be focused on. They need to be emphasized. So as we did that, we also simultaneously witnessed our giving actually drop as a church. So this is a lot to do with people relocating, moving to new places. Uh, It means they can't be a part of our church anymore, though some of this is also due to kind of recent economic realities. So all of that brings us to a place that we as a church, we actually need to talk about how we move into the future in terms of our stewardship of finances. So since we are talking about God's vision for our church over the next year, today we happen to be talking about what role money plays in that vision. And so to do that, I'm going to invite us to look at Exodus chapter 35. So in 2021, uh, back then, it was, feels like forever ago, we finished studying the book of Exodus together. And as we finished, what we did is we considered, the very last thing we considered in the book of Exodus was Israel's building of the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? How did it function? And this is, this is really, at the end of the day, what we said, the tabernacle was showing us something. The, the tabernacle showed us that God's work is to dwell where people are. Right? To Israel, it was significant to them 
that God was not just a God who has identified as their God, but that he would be with them, right? That was his vision, that he would dwell with them, that, that he would make his home among them, that he would call them his people, that he would be their God, that they would learn the significance of his holiness as he dwelt with them, that they would grapple with the weight of sin and sacrifice as they, every time they approached him, They had to sacrifice something in order to be able to approach him, that they would have the security of God's presence among them as they went. The tabernacle was the place where God dwelt, and it was God's means of showing the significance, the importance of how much he cares about his people, that he would be with them, that he would go with them. So he instructed them on how to build this tabernacle, how to put it together. With what material should should they put this tabernacle together? And so, so they're out there in the middle of the desert, in the wilderness. They get this instruction from God. And they are excited about what God is doing. They're, they're in the middle of the desert, and they are actually going to put this thing together. They're going to take the pieces required and put this together. So let's observe how the Lord carries this out. Exodus 35, verses 4 and 5. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. So this contribution is coming together for the building of the tabernacle, the resources required to build the tabernacle. There are two things to note. First, I want you to know that their contributions were not cash, right? They didn't, they, they, their economy didn't operate like ours did. Their contributions were the resources of their professions, the things that they had, the materials necessary. Their economy is built around trade, and so they gave out of the resources that were the rewards of their profession. So it was not cash that they were bringing, but they were bringing materials. The second thing to notice, God's first command to give to the tabernacle is a command regarding generosity. This is not mandated of Israel. Nobody in Israel is required to bring this gift. It says, whoever is of a generous heart. Right? That's really significant. Like This means that, hey, people of Israel who I just saved, I'm building this tabernacle. And you know what? If you choose not to give to it, you're not going to die. You're not going to get left behind. You'll still be a part of this people. You'll still continue on with us. But the giving to this tabernacle, it's going to happen with those who have a generous heart. So this is what God does. God says to them, I'm giving you a vision. This is what I'm doing. I am coming to be with you and to go among you. If you are moved by this vision, then bring your contributions. If you have a generous heart, if you are inclined to support this, then bring your contributions. So then, after that, further instruction uh, comes. And then, uh, after all of the instruction that God gives in terms of the, the supplies that are needed, the things that are required, in verse 20, it says this, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And in verse 21, they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. So remember, God's primary work is to dwell where people are. God is coming to be where people are. So notice the way that he accomplishes that work. He could, if he wanted to. I mean, he stopped the sea. 
He split the sea in half. He made the water disappear from the sand so that as they were walking, they weren't walking on mud, they were walking on dry ground. That's what God did. If he wanted to, he could raise the resources to build the tabernacle up out of the ground and he would have everything that he needs for the tabernacle to be built. But instead, what he does is he waits for people to be compelled. He basically says, you know what, here's my vision, the work that I want to do. But this is no good if it's just my vision, right? He's saying to the people, well, actually, my people, I need you to own this vision with me. In other places, this will be called a free will offering, right? That they would give, that they would be so compelled by the work that God is doing that they would give freely. It would not be required of them to give, but they, they would give freely to support this work. The implication here is that we have generosity and ownership of vision and hearts being stirred up. There's a principle here that God is showing us, and it is this. God wants me to love funding what he loves, right? God wants me to love funding what he loves, This is his most important work, right? And he doesn't mandate anything here. This is the thing that he was trying to do. Above all else, he says, I'm coming to be with you. And this thing he doesn't mandate. This thing he says, let your hearts be compelled to do this with me. The second implication of this is that if this is dependent on every person's kind of personal response, then it means actually that people had different postures as they were receiving this implication of generosity, right? There were various different kinds of postures that could have been receiving this call to support God's vision. So I just want you to consider with me the possible postures of the Israelites, and maybe even as we consider these, you can see where you might fit. So five postures of generosity I want to consider. First, there might be a a posture of someone who is willing to give but unable to give. The reality is is that uh, you might be living at your means. You have what you need to to eat and have shelter over your head, and and maybe you have a little bit left, and you might give, but you feel like it's not very much, and it seems like it doesn't make an impact. And if this is your situation, right, I want you to receive this encouragement. You are the most celebrated giver in God's eyes. You are the most celebrated giver in God's eyes. You are the highest to be honored among those who give. God is more pleased with you than he is with any other giver. Why? Well, one time Jesus saw a widow who was poor, came into the temple, and put two copper coins into the collection. That's all she had. She put it there. And when Jesus looked at that, he turned to his disciples and he said that this woman had put in more than anybody else ever had. That's a little counterintuitive, isn't it? Right? Because the rest gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. Right? So if this is you, you, you may not feel like you contribute much value, but in kingdom economics, Jesus says that your contribution is actually the most significant value. Right? So that's the first posture of generosity. The second posture of generosity is this that you are both unwilling and unable. You might uh, think something like this, that even if I had money, you know what? Giving is going to be my last priority. You know, and the reality is that money is not just controlling and derailing for the people who have money. Money is controlling and derailing for people who don't have money too. 
right? That there were likely people in this circumstance who had very little resources, who were more concerned about using the little that they had for their own purposes instead of for God's purposes. That is one possible posture. Another posture that could be approached is that you would be able to give, but unwilling to give. Right? This is the person who has resources, who has margin to give regularly and consistently, but they are more sold on their own desires for their money. They are more sold on their own vision for their life than they are sold for God's vision. So for today, occasionally this person might desire to give, but you know, as they go to a church or whatever, they can't get on board with a, a particular church that they're a part of. And maybe, maybe the reason that they can't support that church is for a biblical reason, or uh, maybe uh, they, they have other reasons about leadership or whatever. They say, you know what, I just cannot support that church. To that person, I would say, you know what, then it's time for you to find a new church where you can give your money, right? Because the call on all of us is to be supporting the work of God and what he is up to. Then we might have a, a posture of somebody who's both able to give and willing to give. And these are the people who are faithful and consistent, pouring out of what they have and recognizing the value of what God is doing. They set aside their portion consistently and are committed to and invested in God's work. And then finally, the final category of this is those who are both able to give and generous with what they have to give. These are those who have resources and they are always looking for what God is up to. How can I pour into God's work? How can I benefit God's work in a more significant way? And these people may even be willing to deny themselves certain comforts of life to expand the amount that they have to give because they love what God is doing in the world and they want to see more of it. So, so those are all different kinds of postures that, that uh, people who are approached with this idea of supporting God's vision that they could have. And all of this kind of points to this reality, this, uh, this aspect of generosity, all of it points to this reality, that God is just concerned with the how of your giving as he is the how much. God is just as concerned with the how of your giving as he is the how much. So I told you earlier that I am not here to guilt you into giving. In fact, what seems to be implied by this passage is that if I coerce you into giving, it's actually counter to our mission, right? It actually works against our mission. Our mission is hindered if your motivation is anything other than full-blown like generosity and excitement about the thing that God is up to. So uh, why say that? Because God primarily accomplishes his purposes through people whose hearts are aligning with his heart, who see the vision that he's casting and the work that he's doing and who say, I'm all in for that work. So I said this morning that I am here to do three things. I am here to tell you what Jesus is up to. I'm here to realistically present the financial need that that requires, and I'm here to invite you to consider what part that you play. So let's ask the first question. What is Jesus up to here in this church? What is he doing? We talked about this a lot last week, right? We, we highlighted the work that uh, we've been doing, that God has been leading us in over the last few years. And rather than rehash all of that, I just want to tell you that based on what we observe amongst the leaders of this church, based on the plans that we have moving into the future, and then based on some of what we've even seen here at this church in the last six months, your elders and your leaders genuinely believe that God is up to something significant here in this church. 
right? We believe that the groundwork is being laid for God to create a culture of renovation, a culture of renewal amongst the people of this church. We see it happening. Just talk to anybody who leads a ministry here, and they will tell you, yeah, God's up to something, right? So I want to highlight four pieces of the last year of ministry here at this church that provide for us the most significant evidence that God is doing something here. So the first thing that I want to tell you is this, that the leadership is on board and unified with the direction that we're going. Everybody who is leading a ministry of this church, uh, we have, so uh, I get to tell you, maybe break some news because not everybody knows this, but Peg Miller, who gave announcements this morning, Peg Miller stepped up uh, into a leadership role called a missional influence leader. Now, what the title of that is may not be significant to you, but what we have committed ourselves to as leaders is engaging in a process of reaching out to our spheres of influence, of intentionally holding one another accountable for the the ministry of outreach that we have to our friends and our neighbors, that amongst the leaders of this church would be a culture of those who are concerned with the souls of their neighbors, who are serving their neighbors, who are loving their neighbors well, and their coworkers and their acquaintances, that we might invite them to Jesus. And Peg has been leading the team of ministry leaders at this church in helping us both understand uh, how we might better speak to and engage with those who don't know Jesus yet, but also how we might hold one another accountable to reaching out in our spheres of influence. That's what Peg has been doing with us. And as I presented this thing to the leaders of this church that Peg is going to lead us in, not one person said, I guess I'll do that. In fact, when I asked, because there were a couple of different options on the table, I asked the question, would you all be willing to do this? There was not just a, I guess I'll do that. There was a, I'm excited to do that from the leaders of this church. Our church, the leaders of this church are excited to take the steps into the direction that God is leading us, and we have unity as we do it. That is the first significant sign that Jesus is up to something significant here. Second significant sign for us, Crossroads is changing lives. 45 students involved in Crossroads this year getting biblical teaching and discipleship training in the middle of public schools after they finish their school day. Last year, At this church, there are people in this room today who were students in Crossroads who got baptized at this church last year. Three students baptized as a result of Crossroads. And we have also started to see the benefit of Crossroads and seeing three different families come to our church within the last year who were connected to Crossroads prior, prior to that. Third piece of evidence that shows us God is up to something. A renewed missions emphasis. We raised more money in the last year than I have ever seen us raise for the Great Commission Fund. I've never seen us raise that amount of money. It's crazy. $15,000 that we raised for the Great Commission Fund. Add to that love offerings for missionaries that were incredibly generous. Add to that the fact that the FARs came here and said, you know what, we're getting ready to go over to Germany. We're getting ready to go explore God's call for us, what, what he might have for us in international missions. And I know that many of us supported them for that. That's not counted in our total that we're tracking here. Right? So we're talking $20,000 plus of uh, money poured out for the sake of seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Right? 
that is a renewed missions emphasis here that I am just very humbled to see and to witness and very excited to see happening. When we use our treasure to invest in God's work far away, we'll be more invested in his work at home. And the the last piece of evidence that I'd like to highlight is the sharing of tables. Jesus shows up when we share tables, right? You wanna talk about God being with people, right? We are now the tabernacle, right? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and now we come and we get to extend the presence of God to those who haven't met him yet. Jesus can meet people at our tables and uh, they can have opportunity to understand the work that he does and to be compelled by his character as we meet with them. And so as we did this sharing tables thing in the last year, we jumped in and owned it. The stories that you all wrote down on the little ornaments about how God was working and the ways that he showed up. Uh, And uh, the thing that I was most excited about is that when, when I said, you know what, God can work through you as you sit at a table and as you share with a table with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus, Jesus, God can meet, Jesus can meet that person there at that table through you if you would just be willing to share your story and what he's up to. The thing that excited me most is that the first person, uh, the first two people to turn in uh, table-shaped ornaments with a message about how God worked uh, written down on them were Norma and Carol. Sorry, Norma and Carol, we get to celebrate you for just a second here. But, but as I was standing there preaching about, hey, we're gonna share tables and Jesus can meet people through you, Carol leans over to Norma and said, Norma, we did that last night. We shared a table with my nephew and we uh, encouraged him in the Lord. We shared the story of what the Lord was up to for us and, and, and intrigued him to know more about Jesus, right? That was like a massive win for me. Norma and Carol were like all in for the sharing of tables and I was excited about that and to see the way the rest of this church came along and said, no, we believe that God can actually meet with people as we open up our lives to them. So, Those are uh, four things that are evidence to me that God is up to something new here. We believe that as we continue in this direction and in alignment with the vision that we discussed last week, that God is going to do significant and amazing things. So that's what Jesus is up to. Now let's talk about some financial realities. I just told you about the church that we are. That's the church that we are. That church has clarity of direction, right? That, those are the words that describe that church. We are convinced that if we continue moving in that direction, in alignment with that vision, that we will see God like, do significant things here. Now, we have not voted on an official budget yet, but I wanna, I wanna tell you that our budget team, right? So this, our, our budget team this year was myself, John Palpent, uh, Mary Ortega, and Jay Romano. Our budget team was given a task this year. That task was, without changing any staff person's income and without stopping any of our current ministries, what is the lowest amount of money that we can spend to keep us moving in that direction? What is the lowest amount of money that we can spend to keep us moving in that direction? So we worked hard to kind of figure out, okay, what can we cut? What can we limit? And what is kind of the bare minimum costs of operating and carrying out this mission here at this church? And that number is written down in your notes, but I will just tell you it's $156,865. or That comes out to $13,072 a month. That's the monthly cost of following that direction. Okay, 
That's, that's the direction that we're going. I want to talk to you about the church now that we funded in 2022, just about our funding realities in 2022. So a couple of notes before we do this. Uh, what you saw in the bulletin over the last year. So as you, as you were watching the bulletin and, hey, this is how much money came in last week. This is how much money came in the week before that, right? And uh, how it's lining up with the budget. What you saw was not just general fund giving, but it was a combination of general fund and other income, which includes the rent that other churches pay to use our space. We share our space with a couple of other churches and they rent the building uh, from us. And so the, the number that you saw in your bulletin was combined general fund giving and rent. But I want to tell you that what we believe is financially healthy is that our giving meets our expenses here and that uh, we do not have to rely on additional income sources to help us meet our basic operating expenses. So the number that I am about to give you is pure general fund giving without additional extra income considered. This is what we gave in 2022. We gave $129,540 or $10,795 a month. That's what we gave. So now, as of today, we still have $40,000 in the bank, which means that we are not in danger of closing tomorrow. But to project ahead, there are only two things that you can change in our current budget to make our expenses meet that number. There are only two things that you can change to make our expenses meet that number. They are, number one, the lead pastor salary, and number two, care and maintenance and payment for our property. Like, one of those two things has to change in order to make our budget meet that line. So I just want to clarify that. And it's also worth clarifying that if this trend, if the trend of 2022 continues into the new year and doesn't change by August, we will be in a situation that I would call life support. Uh, What do I mean by that? It means that whatever direction we have, whatever kind of path that we're engaging in, at the very least, it all gets put on pause so that we can explore what it means for the lead pastor's salary to change significantly or our property situation to change significantly. Right, so that's August. So that's eight months from now, right? If, if we get to August and things have not changed, those are the kinds of things that we're going to begin exploring. I want to tell you that because I think it's important for us to be transparent about the financial situation and what we're dealing with. And I don't think uh, it's okay for you to show up one day and say, hey, guess what? We're out of money and we have to figure out how to close or something like that. I want you to know kind of what the financial trajectories are for this church. And I also want to tell you that I do not believe that we are going to stay there. I don't believe it. From what I've witnessed, I am convinced that that number is going to change this year, but it's important that we talk about the realities of what last year was. In fact, in December, I saw some things that greatly encouraged me that I have not witnessed before at this church from a financial standpoint, and it makes me very optimistic. But you need to know that there is a significant difference between the church that we funded and the church that we are, the direction that we're going. And that distance is $2,277 a month. We're going to come back to that number in just a second. So I believe that the, the people in this church believe in what is happening here and the direction that we are moving in. I believe that you see God at work. I believe that you, you want to see what might happen for him to take a church that has been struggling for the last decade and turn it into a testimony of his power and his grace to this community around us. So I've already said um, 
we have significant evidence that that very thing is happening right now. So that's the difference between life support and clarity of direction. But before we close today, I want to not just talk about those things. I want to talk about what significant momentum could look like for us. My heart would be incredibly full to see us meet this number for the church that we are. I would love that. That would make me very happy to see us fund that vision. But I want to offer you an additional vision beyond the vision. Right? There, there are kind of two important simultaneous realities at this church. Uh, realities in any church. The first reality is this. A church is well served by late elders and lay leaders and pastors and servants, people who give of their time, who work professionally in other realms, but give of their time and give of their skills and give of their resources to help that church be able to function, right? Churches can neither thrive nor survive without solid people who are committed to volunteering and giving of their time to invest in a church. And I will tell you that there are many servants in this church uh, who might as well be staff people, right, in terms of the amount of time that they pour out to see this church move forward, right? So that's the first reality. A church is well served by lay leaders. The second reality is this. How a church advances the mission of the kingdom of God, it changes drastically every time you add a staff person. It changes drastically every time you add a staff person. So a person who has a majority of their working time and attention dedicated to the church provides incredible value in advancing the mission of that church. So significant momentum for us could look like hiring a 25 to 30 hour a week staff person. What could that additional time and attention look like? What, what might happen with that amount of time? Whether they're taking something off of my plate or whether they're focusing on something new, kind of let's filter this through our three key values of hospitality, relationships, and transformation. Right? So, so what kinds of things could the focus be emphasized on if we had a staff person who was 25 to 30 hours a week? Well, we could get communication and organization to be more clear and more consistent. Right, Because there's just a limit in terms of how much uh, I can communicate and the number of emails that I can send out because there are so many other things that I'm doing. But we could get some focus on communication and organization. Evangelism and discipleship strategies and systems could be clarified and built and implemented at a faster pace. That emphasizes our focus on transformation. Right? More, more attention could be devoted to new connections and helping people find their place here. That emphasizes hospitality. Right, let's talk about worship realities. There's a truth that, that our worship leader, Debbie Romano, she has served faithfully. But I don't know if you all have noticed, like we are in need of support in the leading of the worship ministry at this church. Right, and, and that influences hospitality. That influences the way that we relate and, and how people kind of understand their space in here as we are worshiping together. Right? More time could be devoted to developing servants and leaders who more effectively help us do all of those things. That comes from a place of relationship and transformation, investing in other people who can own more parts of the ministry. So, so we could be significantly impacted by a part-time staff position. Uh, and, and the goals of that position might be to increase and more effectively manage our communication systems, to manage connection with newcomers, to help us lead the worship team and worship services, and to provide support to key volunteers who do the work of staff people, even though they don't get paid for it. So, so whether or not 
That's the exact job description, right? Oh, who knows what the exact job description might mean? But I am certain that we would gain significant momentum with the addition of another staff person who could bring some skill and structure to our church. So there's the church that we funded, the church that we are, and what I just talked to you about was the church that we could become, a church with significant momentum. And the cost of funding that church would be about $16,200 a month. It would uh, raise our annual budget to about $195,000. That would uh, provide, yes, a part-time staff person at a reasonable rate along with some additional money to resource ministry so that we're not running at a bare minimum. So the distance between clarity of direction and significant momentum is about $3,000 a month. Okay, so that's both... That, like, that's what we can see that Jesus is up to along with the financial reality. So the last part that I t- said I was going to do is I was going to have you consider what part can you play. First of all, if you are new or relatively new here, I just want to say thank you for being here. You've caught us on a unique Sunday, right? <laughs> and that I don't even want you to think about this, right? I don't want this to be in your head. The most important thing for you is that you find a church to call home and that you would belong to that church, and that you would build relationship in that church, and that as you belong and build relationship with that church, that you would find a place that you can resource the work of that church, right? That's the most important thing that I would want to see for you. This, today, is only for those who call this church home. That's what this is for. So, so uh, I want you to consider the distance between the church that we funded and the church that we are. It's $2,277 a month. Last year, there were 40 giving units who gave regularly at this church. There were 40 givers who gave regularly at this church, which would mean the share of need per giver is about $57 per giver per month. That's what we need to get us from life support to clarity of direction. That's the additional that's required. So here's what I know. There are a broad range of givers at this church. I am not here to tell you that if you give to this church, you know what you need to do? You need to increase your giving by $57 a month. It's not what I'm here to tell you. I'm here to invite you to consider what role the Lord might have you play as we are presented with that need. Some in this church, I recognize you cannot give any more than what you gave last year because economically things are very challenging for you. Right? Some might be prone to sacrifice, the, the, like the widow who gave her last two pennies, and some actually might have the financial flexibility to give above that amount. Right? But in fact, I have commitments from several leaders in this church who have said they will give above that amount because they want to give their portion and make up for what they know that some others will not be able to give. So maybe, maybe you're looking to start giving in here and you're like, well, where could I start? I could tell you, like, $57 a month might be a great place to start, right? But maybe, maybe you're, you've already been giving here. You've been giving here for the last 10, 20 years. Maybe you can give $5 more a month, right? You can't make anything work, but you can make that work. Maybe you could give $20 more a month. Maybe you could give $80 more a month. Maybe you could give $100 more a month. I want to tell you that whatever you give is a key step toward ensuring that we can continue in the direction that God has been leading us. So what? Do you believe that God is up to something here? I just spent a lot of time hashing out kind of 
significant financial details. It was important, I think, for us to put those details in front of you and be transparent about what they mean. But this is the thing that really matters. Do you believe that God is up to something here? Do you see him at work? Do you long to see what more he might do? Do you see the evidences that we are on a clear pathway to seeing God do some pretty amazing things? And the second question then I would ask you is this, what part would God have you play? So there's a reality that we actually, as the the elders of this church, we would like to know whether or not it seems like we will actually be able to meet those numbers that we need to meet. In order to do that, what we're going to do is we're, we're actually asking for information. So the first thing that we are going to ask you to do, this week, we are asking you to go home and pray. If you call this church home, if you, uh, if you consider yourself a giver to this church, I'm going to ask you to go home and pray. All of us to take the next week, go home, seek the Lord, pray about what you can do. And then next week, when we come back, I'm going to ask you to fill out a commitment card. So next week, if you are a giver to this church, we're asking you to fill out a commitment card. I'm inviting you to consider what you gave last year and ask this question. What additional, right? So I'm not asking for the total amount that you would give in a year. I'm asking what additional can you give per month this year that you didn't give last year? And then you'll write your, uh, you will not write your name on it, right? Right? We're not doing this so that we can send you a bill later, right? That's not the goal. (laughs) The goal is to help us understand whether or not the church that we believe we are is actually realistically fundable for us. So, um, special note, uh, those of you who would give more, but you can't, I want to tell you, don't feel guilty. God has given you a different part to play. So I want to invite you to do something with us instead. If you can't give more, if you're like, oh gosh, I want to give more, but it's just there's no way to make it work. I want to invite you to pray with us that he would move the hearts of others who can give in order to meet this need. So please just join us in prayer on that. So church, thank you for sitting with me through that. Thank you for, uh, if you're new here, I I don't want to apologize, but I will just say, like, I'm just so glad you stuck with us. We're glad to have you here. And uh, yeah, so so thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, Church, would you pray with me as we approach the Lord and then we'll step into communion. Lord Jesus, this is your church, and we have seen you up to things here. We have seen you up to things in our community. We believe you're doing something in this church. Our leaders pour out time and energy, stretch themselves to make this work. Our um, uh, people pour out money time and again, and I, I know many have sacrificed to see this church get to where it is. So Lord, would you by your Holy Spirit, press upon the hearts of those you need to press upon that we might be able to take the steps into the future that we need to take. Lord, would you show all of us, regardless of what church it is or what ministry is or whatever it is that we support with our money, would you show all of us the value of being engaged in your work, of having hearts that are so compelled by your work that our money follows with it? And that if our hearts aren't there, that we put our money there to get our hearts to go along with it. 
Lord. Maybe it's not in this church. Remember, there are people here who are like, no, this is not the church that I'm supporting, and that's okay. Lord, give us hearts that are excited about supporting your work wherever we might be. Lord, would you make us people who are not controlled by money, but who recognize money as a tool that you give us to steward that your purposes, that your glory might come about in our lives and the lives of those around us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.